0: This is Roy Thomas, and you're listening to the Captain America Comic Book Fans Podcast.
1: Greetings, Cap fans. Welcome to Captain America Comic Book Fans Podcast. This is episode 124, and I'm your host, Rick Verbanis, And as always, I'm joined by... I would say, maybe some would say, the best gosh darn co-host out there. That is Mr. Bob Lucius. Oh, Bob. I get no kick from champagne. Mere alcohol doesn't thrill me at all. So tell me, why
0: should it be true? that i get a kick out of you well first of all first thing i want to say is you're not you're not drinking the right kind of alcohol Mm. you're not getting a kick out of it but the second thing is i have no idea what is this rick you've caught me out of left field with this one well do you know the song Uh, route 66 right (laughs) no no i get my kicks on route 66 no 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 i get a kick out of you okay by Frank
1: Sinatra.
0: Oh, I knew it was Frank. I could tell just by the way you were singing it. You're like a doppelganger.
1: Oh uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I get that all the time. Uh yeah, no, Frank Sinatra. Uh, okay. I get a kick out of you. Now, I'm, now, why am I doing that as my hello to you this week? Well, because, uh, that is a song. Well, all right. Let me let me back up here. So we got a Frank Sinatra.
0: Okay. Right. Yeah right he's a famous
1: frank blue eyes yeah right and then we got a couple of famous franks today so we're going to be covering what if volume one number four and roy thomas is the writer but the penciler frank robbins and the inker frank springer
0: you've done it again
1: i thought Let's do a famous Frank. But not only that, Bob, that particular song, while it is an older song, he did that in a television special. A television special, Bob, uh, that came out in 1977, which just so Mm -hmm. happens to be the same time this comic came out in
0: 1977. Damn! You have done it again. Yeah. Yeah. We've gone all the threads together.
1: I I I do what I can, Bob. <laughs> I I am you know what? I I actually just I don't the hell with the listeners, Bob. I just try to impress you every week. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and we know that's not easy, right?
1: I uh, yeah, I know. Right? You get, you yeah. set a high bar. I do, I do. Yeah. Huh. So yeah, we're going to be getting into what if number four today, but um, I don't know, Bob. Uh, how, how's your week going?
0: You know it's going pretty well. I mean, I can't complain, right? I'm still vertical, as my old mom would say. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's going all right. How's yours going? Uh, good. It's good. You know, we
1: uh, we did do that top ten list mm-hmm. for okay. uh, for Valentine's Day uh-huh. last yes. week. Yes. Uh, it's interesting. We got we're still getting some some comments on that. We get still getting some votes on the Facebook group. Um, a lot of it been a lot of latecomers for Sharon Carter.
0: Huh? Interesting.
1: Yeah. Interesting. Matter of fact, uh, you know, in according to our Facebook group, uh, number one was was Diamondback.
0: Huh, but
1: yeah. the uh, now it's now it's Sharon Carter.
0: Well, did we convince them, or is it just out of spite?
1: I, I, don't, know. I, I don't know. Yeah, huh. I don't know. I think it's a Twitter thing. Uh, mm-hmm. There is a um, there is a on Twitter there is a uh, a big fan of sharon carter is there yeah the, the the person on twitter that i'm thinking of is uh it's called she's like sharon carter's pr person is what she refers to herself i think her name is eve
0: <laughs> that's great yeah and
1: uh so she she uh went ahead and she replied and she gave her she retweeted it and, um, and it was interesting because, you know, she's got like, I don't know, 500 followers or something like that. And then, so, uh, I guess there's, uh, enough of her followers and her, you know, stormed the Facebook group and voted for Sharon. And here you go. Now, now she's in first place.
0: That is amazing. That is amazing. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah. You it's know, fun. I think, yeah, I think, you know, interesting. Some of the comments after there, I can't believe we, 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 we missed some folks from, um, like Hannah from um, what volume four, right?
1: Right. Yeah, the John yeah, Cassidy. Yeah, I was like,
0: oh my god, I can't believe that. I love that that story arc. So mm-hmm. uh, that was embarrassing. And uh, and I'm surprised nobody. I blame brought you. It, yeah. Well, thank you. I, I accept blame. Uh, the Contessa, either. I mean, she did try to, I think, woo Captain America to make Fury jealous, and mm-hmm. uh, it made me think of that because I watched, uh, and I'm embarrassed to admit this also. I just watched uh, Wakanda Forever. Mm-hmm. And uh, spoiler, you know, she's in there. So um, it's you know, I, I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't believe we didn't at least bring that one up in the in the Facebook group. Wasn't
1: there or... another one somebody pointed out from Volume Four?
0: There was that, that
1: didn't uh, make it.
0: Yeah, I can't remember who that was. I'm still drawing a blank. That one wasn't as impactful to me as as Hannah, who uh, I, at the time I thought, and I still when I go back and I read that story arc, she looks an awful lot like Sharon Carter. So uh, she's he's got a good. type. Yeah, she could be a doppelganger. So, uh, I Just mean, the first few times I read it, I'm like, is that Sharon? What the heck's going on? So, yeah. Oh, Carol Harding. Is that it? Rebecca? Mm, that doesn't sound familiar.
1: I uh, don't know. These are some people who got added late.
0: Oh, all right.
1: Yeah. Somebody added Aunt May. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, they are. No, nobody generation.
1: voted for it but but somebody added it oh no i take it back the person who added it uh voted for for aunt may i think there was some sort of thing at one point because you're like oh aunt may's old you're old you got got these guys have something in common
0: yeah i don't recall that one but i'm glad
1: (laughs) says the guy (laughs) who put in hilda zemo
0: (laughs) Hilda was a good looking lady yeah, whatever.
1: All right. look, all right, I'm excited, Bob, because speaking of Hilda Zemo, what where did hemo Hilda zemo where Where did she come from? what What comic did that pop out of?
0: That was from the Medusa effect.
1: And who wrote Medusa effect?
0: None other than the legendary Roy Thomas.
1: and that is who's going to be our guest next episode legendary roy thomas is joining the show he's gonna wrap cap with this that is crazy that's crazy rick i know we are so excited uh this has been somebody who i have been after oh since 2021 uh, yeah. i have i have been working this for like a year and a half And uh, it's finally going to finally going to happen. So we're very excited. So everybody make sure you come back next episode, because Roy Thomas, let me tell you, uh, he is. You know, unless you've been under a rock, this this man, we say legendary, we're, we're not just throwing that word around. He has been around since, you know, working with Stan Lee and Jack Kirby and all of all of the. The greats from the Marvel bullpen back in the the late '60s and the '70s and the '80s, and you know he's oh my gosh he he's co-created so many so many memorable characters. Uh, I, I you know Wolverine being probably the most popular, but you know we're talking um, Luke Cage and Iron Fist and Vision, Yellow Jacket and carol danvers um you know he's uh, read red red and conan like he he was responsible for bringing conan into comics uh we've got he he created ghost rider um you know ton of uh, other characters and groups such as squadron supreme and the defenders and who we're talking about today the invaders so we thought, what, what, what better way to prep for the Roy Thomas conversation than do a really key Roy Thomas comic, at least in the Captain America mythos?
0: Yeah, 100%, Rick. And, you know, it's hard to open any uh, Marvel masterpieces, any omnibus that deals anything to do with the Avengers or Captain America or, of course, the Invaders that doesn't have a preface, or a forward by Roy Thomas, right? I mean, this, this guy has a, an encyclopedic knowledge of the Marvel uh, Marvel comic universe. And so I'm really excited to talk to him because I have got so many questions about the magic that he had to weave so many threads together to, to create the whole cloth of what, you know, for the most part, what we consider the Captain America mythos now
1: exactly and and while he he's gonna you know he has done and will do uh interviews with with to talk about obviously you know uh, all the different characters he created with marvel and of course he also spent a lot of time with dc as well i mean he he loves the golden age characters right so you know not only did he work with uh bringing back and, and pivotal to uh many golden age Marvel characters, but in DC, you know, he worked with, you know, the all-star squadron and the, the justice society of America and so on. So uh, listen, those interviews out there are great and and make sure you listen to them. But if you are a captain America fan and you want something as captain America centric talking about his time writing the captain America comics or the invaders or the Avengers this is going to be a conversation for you to listen to. So make sure you are back next episode.
0: I got nothing. Rick. That was just so well said.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Um, you know, Bob, speaking of, of Captain America creators, um, want yeah. to talk about birthdays. So one of the birthdays coming up is none other than one of the Kubert brothers, Andy Kubert. His birthday is February 27th. And you might um, remember, Andy was the penciler with Mark Wade. And then with Dan Jurgens in volume three, I want to say he did like 19 to 20 issues during that run. And and there, there were some really dynamic pieces, right? I mean, he was, yeah. he was the reason that Ron Garney was asked to leave the book, right? Like we had Mark Wade on the show. We had Ron Garney on the show and they came on and they talked about it. They were basically, you know, when they came back and restarted volume three together, um, Marvel basically, you know, Andy Cooper was like, I, they're like, pick a book. W- w- what book do you want to be on? We want you on, we want you to do one of our books. He's like, I want to do Cap America. They're like, see you, Ron. And they asked Ron and, and, and listen, they were really as cool as they could be. They were like, all right, how about you and Mark? launch a new series called captain america central liberty and we know ron you you want to get more involved in writing so you and mark can co-plot the book together and they did and they gave that to him and he and he did it for like five or six issues or something like that but yeah andy andy was uh you know a big deal back gosh I'm trying to think of when that was um late 90s something like that yeah but anyway it was like 1920 issues in volume three so anyway he's celebrating birthday um this uh in a few days from now on february 27th
0: well happy birthday to him yeah i don't know if i should get a card or something
1: what would you say in the card, bob
0: happy birthday <laughs> <laughs>
1: well i guess that's better than the sympathy card
0: makes sense right yeah <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um,
1: I can't remember the comedian uh, and and I'm sure somebody on Facebook maybe you, you might hear you heard this and well, I love this line. He's talking about the American you know English language and and how a lot of words you know can mean the same thing or we have we have multiple words for the same meaning, right And he said, for instance, I'm sorry, and I apologize mean the same thing." Unless you're at a funeral,
0: <laughs> that's a good one, isn't it?
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, <I'll laughs> put that one in the hip
0: pocket. There
1: you go. Keep I that should. one. Yeah, you should tell that in one of your classes.
0: I will. I will tell that one of my classes. Yeah.
1: yeah. All right. So we uh, should we get to the comic, Bob?
0: Yeah. Let's do this thing.
1: This episode is
0: brought to you by Shopify.
1: So let's talk about just in general the What If series, right? So the What If series is, and for those who aren't familiar, I mean, heck, they on Disney Plus they they made a, a animated series out of it, um, and and it's had several volumes over the years. But it debuted in, in 1977, and it was uh, actually a brainchild of Roy Thomas, and it was an idea to take some i. uh concepts and different twists and turns and create these stories. Now we already covered what if volume one, number five, which was what if captain America and Bucky had lived? And we covered that, uh, panel by panel. If you want to check that out in episode 53, uh, this one is what if, the invaders had stayed together after World War II. How different would our world have wound up if the invaders never disbanded? Where would Cap, Namor, the Torch, and the rest of the team be now? Where would Cap, Namor, and the Torch, and the rest of the team be now? So that's the premise of this particular story. Bob, I'm going to I'm just going to go out there and tell everybody it's more than just that. This, This particular what if actually has serious consequences, serious implications for the Captain America mythos because it introduces some concepts that end up being the retcon of the golden age Captain America you know, the 50s, Captain America, to help it make sense of of what is um to explain some some holes, some explains some some things that have happened before. And that's really, and we talked about this in retcons before, yeah. right? You yeah. know, retcon is basically used to go back and explain some things. You know, it's retroactive continuity is what it stands for. The other cool thing about this particular issue is at least in the in the notes that I'm reading, this is the only "what if" issue that takes place in the mainstream continuity of Earth six one six.
0: I I didn't know that, Rick. Yeah, but yeah. It, it absolutely makes sense because it affects so much in the main continuity.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, this is according uh, to Marvel dot dot com all right uh but they're yeah they're saying this is the only one that takes place in earth 616 all the others are in you know for different multiverses you know of, of various you know that way they can explain like oh well what if uh you know Electra had lived well in this earth right she did yeah but th- but this one they're saying no this actually ends up happening
0: well, it's funny because it's not really a what if, right? And and of course, it, it's pitched as a stunning saga of an alternate reality. But in fact, it is what happened in this reality, which is, as you point out, the the main continuity uh, in Nine. the Marvel universe. So.
1: Yeah. So we'll have to talk. Can't wait to talk to Roy about this. Yeah. Like, like how did he come up with these ideas? Right. So we'll we'll get to that. So he's the writer I mentioned before, penciler, Frank Robbins, inker Frank Springer. Now this is also, you know, uh, worked with, with Roy on the series, the invaders. So it made sense for them to kind of work on this particular issue. The colorist is George Bell letters, Joe Rosen and John Costanza editor, is also Roy Thomas.
0: This is so exciting.
1: Now, the release date was May 24th of 1977, but it has a cover date of August. So it was uh, definitely the summer of 1977. Now, on the cover here, Bob, do you want to maybe uh, ex- describe what we're, we're looking at here on the cover?
0: Yeah. So, you know, we have uh, in the background, we have the Washington Monument. And of course, dead center is is Captain America, with his, uh, you know, his barreling toward the observer, with his, uh, you know, his his right fist in the air and his shield sort of brought down close to his torso, and so you can tell that he's charging at the cam- at the at the at the camera level of observer. Mm-hmm. And then on his right is Namor. On his left is uh, Bob Frank, the Wizard. And then, of course, up over his left shoulder is the Human Torch. And over his right shoulder is Madeline Joyce, Miss America, flying through the air.
1: Mm-hmm. And up in the corner box, you have the faces of all of them uh, up in the corner. I miss those, Bob.
0: You like those corner boxes with the I faces? I do. Yeah. I like
1: to do corner boxes with the faces. I really do. Yeah. I mean, that was the reason when I, when I, when I put together the Facebook page, I went ahead and put the captain america corner boxes from you know going back to the golden age to the most recent as possible and i put you know the ones that had the, the most longevity up there uh, i just love corner boxes
0: yeah you know what i love rick hmm? i love that these characters are actually timely golden age heroes so mm-hmm. you know sometimes it, you know in, in the marvel books and we i'm sure we'll talk about this as we go along but um you know you see characters that Uh, are made to appear as if they were Golden Age heroes, right? But they're recent manufacturers, right? Recent creations, and and there's plenty of those, but these are actually Golden Age heroes that Roy Thomas had uh, repurposed in the Invaders series, and we see them here as well. So that's really exciting because it gives you an opportunity to go back and learn more about those heroes and, and their backstories and origins. And there's a whole body of comic mythos for all those characters that one can plumb if they're so inclined.
1: Yeah, yeah, and Roy was brilliant at doing that. Uh, and we failed to mention this cover. It was illustrated by Gil Kane. He was the the penciler, and then inked by Frank Giacola. All right, Bob. So we're going to get to the opening splash page, and it says a stunning saga of an alternate reality.
0: And what's the title, Bob? What if the invaders had stayed together after World War II?
1: And, and there we are. It's Captain America and Bucky breaking through Glass Window as, as is, you know, what they like to do and storming on to Baron Zemo, who is in a hangar. And uh, it reads, the scene is legend by now. The furtive hooded figure of Baron Zemo crouched before an open strongbox as he fires a strange new type of flare gun into it. Then his snarling cry as two color splash sentinels of liberty come smashing through an aerodrome window this fine day in 1945. So, Bob, it, we, recently we uh, we, when we were doing the volume seven, with Rick Remender, we kind of started at the end because Rick wrote something in the letters column. I want to try that again because I, I I liked how that kind of set up, you know, the the expectations mm-hmm. for the the, right. the story. Yeah. And Roy did the same thing here in the letter columns of issue four. What do you think?
0: Yeah, let's do it. It's always great to hear from Roy and uh, get a little window in his thinking.
1: So I'll skip the first paragraph, but. Um, it gets to where Roy writes, more importantly, the story is the first one which really could have happened or maybe did happen in what is known as the mighty Marvel Universe. So why did Roy, in, associate, in association with Franks, Robinson and Springer, his talented cohorts from the regular Invaders mag, chose to do this story in What If? Why? Simply because it wouldn't fit anywhere else. Because in The Invaders' title itself, the year 1946 will doubtless never happen. There's another reason, too, one in the Now It Could Be Told category. Several years back, Roy was slated to take over writing chores on the Captain America title. He was all set to work on the mag with Gil Kane, one of his favorite action artists, and they had discussed several possible plot lines by phone. Some of those were Roy's ideas and some Gil's. Roy's choice among his own brainchildren, though, was a storyline in which we learn that there was indeed a Captain America during the period from 1945 to 1963 when the original Shield Slinger was, according to Marvel history, encased in ice and floating around somewhere near Greenland. When other projects reared their heads, he forgot what they were, it's been so long ago, Roy and Gil bowed out before setting pens to paper, and the editor turned the general idea over to stainless steel steve englehart steve took the theme and made it his own and these became some of the most important captain america issues ever only thing is steve decided at the last minute to forget about the years 1945 to 1953 and have his substitute captain america be a red baiter from the mccarthy era this left a hole which a zillion marvelites had never ceased and properly so, to point out to us. Roy, never one to want to come down hard on a writer or artist who wanted to do things his own way, preferred to let Steve Engelhart do his thing. But he really wanted to take care of those immediate post-cap and post-war years as well. This is his chance, and he's taking it. Next issue, a return to normalcy. If such a thing is not an impossibility in a mag like this, with the story which is many ways related to this one and which we confidently predict Marled and assembled will be comparing and contrasting with this issue's epic for a long, long time to come. It's theme. What if captain America and Bucky has survived world war II? Wow. And then he gets into some footnotes from earlier in this issue. Uh, so it's interesting. So if you get the chance, if you're reading along, uh, check out the footnotes in the letters column, Which goes back and explains uh, some of the things that they're talking about.
0: Wow, Roy was always great with footnotes, you know, Um, and uh, giving the reader a little bit more information about some of these characters and where they came from.
1: Yes, indeed. The
0: the interesting thing, Rick, and I'm sure maybe we'll talk about this as we go through or at the end, is that um, you know you you would think that reading this issue as we're about to do um that maybe this was invented whole cloth but but if you dig in a little bit you realize that roy had been laying the groundwork for this for quite some time so he he clearly had given this a lot of thought and this just wasn't a creative burst of energy
1: yeah and and we i i I guess i'm so excited to talk to him about it so bucky and cap crash in uh baron zemo the first um you know he's firing this flare gun into this particular opened hashtag attache case bob and you know it i gotta say frank robbins artwork i know there's some people out there just you know they just they're not a big fan But I'm looking at this and it definitely has a golden age feel to it.
0: It does. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right there. I mean, anybody who uh, looks at Frank's work and then goes back and looks at a lot of the golden age work, particularly on the Captain America book, lots of similarities in the style.
1: Yeah. So Cap throws his shield, knocks uh, out um, Baron Zemo, but then growing out, of the case is this giant robot um, who's pink and, and wearing blue trunks. Uh, He's got some white armor around his shoulders and his head and Zemo commands him to kill, kill them. And so he uh, cap, you know, and and they're fighting and he gives them a, a big old uppercut with the right fist Whereas Bucky goes for the kneecaps and then, but the robot just knocks him out and, and Bucky goes flying and he's unconscious, but cap is very concerned for him. And he says, if your robots monsters killed him, Zemo, I'll know he's still alive. Only stunned An accurate layman's analysis. My dear captain, one that shall apply equally to yourself. And he fires on cap. <sniffs> and then the as is typically with these what ifs, there's a there's a narrator, right? And so the narrator says, "Too late, Captain America learned that Baron Zemo's weapon had other uses besides the magnification of androids." Now here's a part in this next panel we see an unconscious Steve and Bucky and they're no longer in their uniforms but in jumpsuits and it's it's like what what I don't get that right but Roy did that because when Steve is found by the Avengers in 4 issue 4 He is got a jumpsuit over top of his Captain America uniform.
0: And so
1: Roy, I guess, felt the need
0: to explain that. Yeah. You know, that like just annoyed him. Right. Right. Little lack of continuity there really bugged him. So he fixed it.
1: Right. And and Baron Zemo says because of Captain America, my face is hidden forever beneath this adhesive mask. Thus, not in gaudy red, white, and blue shall my most dangerous foe breathe his last, but in the plainer garb of an army we Nazis are pledged to annihilate. So that was his explanation. And then they tie him to this drone. Now, I thought, Bob, that the drone was supposed to be having this bomb and it was being sent towards... One of the allied countries, or something like that, to to detonate there, in in the comics. I'm I'm not
0: talking the MCU. I'm talking right. in the comics. Yeah. Am I mismemoring that? I, I don't know. I mean, I you know, it's a good question. If you go back, perhaps at some of the earlier origin stories, it may not be clear, but it seems very clear now uh, from this and from other retellings that uh, that occurred in the 70s and later that Zemo was stealing. Uh, an allied drone and sending that technology back to the Nazis, which seems nonsensical, right? Because the Nazis had way better technology at that point than, than the allies. So, but, but at least in, in the current origin tellings, it's, it's the other way. They're sending it back to the Nazis from a captured allied facility.
1: And so we have the Android tying Steve and Bucky to the drone. What happened next? In that British-American aerodrome is far too fraught with time paradoxes to discuss just now, though it is well known to serious students of the so-called superhero syndrome on the planet Earth. Let Steve Rogers' words suffice. And, and then you see, looks like a Captain America shield coming out of nowhere, slicing the rope our bond severed by the, another version of my shield. Now it's fading away, but we're free. And then, so he chases after Zemo, who goes and releases the lever uh, to send the drone plane out. Now, Bob, what?
0: I know, right? What just happened
1: with that shield?
0: Roy is a crafty devil, right? So that goes all the way back, Rick, to a cover date of 1968, Right. Uh, Avengers number fifty six. Death be not proud. Do you remember that issue with Cap standing over the, the the figure of Bucky on the floor? You know, yeah, ceased right. And so all what's going on now is is told in that issue way back in 1968, written, of course, by by Roy Thomas. So in that story, uh, Cap and some of the Avengers go to Dr. Doom's uh, abandoned castle and find an abandoned time machine and use it to go back to this very moment in time. Uh, And they're supposed to remain invisible, but um, uh, the wasp falls asleep at the controls and accidentally hits a button. And for a moment, they are uh, brought into their full selves in this uh, another time. And uh, Cap sees what's going on and he's trying to prevent Bucky from dying. And so he throws his shield and cuts those bonds at the moment that they once again turn invisible and intangible.
1: Oh God. Only in comics.
0: Right? I know, but, you know, it's just, Roy, is just amazing how he, he just weaves all this together.
1: I, I pity, I really do pity any like non-comic fan that just happened to just join the episode while you were doing that explanation. Like, I don't know, like they were listening. Maybe, maybe, maybe the husband is listening to the podcast and the wife walks by in the room and she's like, what? (laughs) That's, that's crazy. Yeah,
0: I know. I know. Yeah. But I mean, it's amazing that whole panel, that one panel with the shield and the swish, right? Is explained in a whole other book that came out almost a decade previously. Uh, I mean, you could read the whole thing and and really just breeze right past that panel and not really pay any attention to it and think, oh, there's uh, ropes broke somehow. But if you wanna dive in, you got that whole other story to read about. It's amazing.
1: It really is. You know what? It's like he's got the thumbtacks and string on the wall. It's true. He's got it it's all true. connected. Yep. So so Steve goes after Zemo, who pushes the lever, and the uh, the the plane is now on its way. So Steve and and Bucky jump onto a motorcycle, and they crash through a glass window, because that is the, that is their thing, <laughs> and chase after the drone. And Steve says to Bucky, we're too late, Bucky. We'll have to go after it in another plane. No, don't stop. I think I can reach it, Cap. Can't make it. Drop off into the water, lad. Don't try to go it alone. No, I can bring the plane back. I know I can. And he jumps on and he's hanging, but Steve's falling back. Bucky, let go. It might be booby trapped and you can't deactivate the bomb without me drop off before it explodes you're right Cap I can see the fuse it's gonna and it blows up does we've it make a noise before. Bob?
0: we've seen this before it, it, it doesn't actually make a noise but oh, he does yeah. no <laughs> <laughs> Bucky it exploded Bucky's gone
1: but the boy was gone vanished forever from the sight of men and not years of sorrow and soul-searching could ever bring him back, again, even for a fleeting instant. And then we cut to...
0: Who is that, Bob? It is The Watcher. Yeah, what's his name, though? I don't know. Blah, 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 Atul.
1: Aruro <laughs> Atul? <laughs> I don't know.
0: A Watu to Atul or something?
1: Yeah, yeah The Watcher. It's good enough and and if you haven't seen the watcher before you haven't seen him in a comic you haven't seen him on the, the the animated tv show uh he's a giant he's bald he he likes to wear togas uh he likes to, to rock the guns
0: mm-hmm. he's super buff in 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 this particular uh, yeah
1: this, he's yeah. he's rocking the guns man uh and then he he likes to wear a, a large blue collar behind his bald head and he's on the moon, and his job is to watch. He's a peeping Tom. <laughs> I, I like to I like to watch. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of the saddest, grimmest moments of a sad and grim war. I know, for, di- for did I not witness them all from here on Earth's moon as through a glass darkly? That's poetic. It is. Is that not the destiny and the curse of the Watcher? And perhaps the greatest tragedy of them all is that happened in the closing days of the war in Europe, when victory was so near. For the Third Reich was crumbling in the spring of 1945. By then, the fabled invaders had gone their separate ways, each to help out where he felt himself most needed. Captain America and Bucky to help guard English supply bases from desperate acts of sabotage the Human Torch and Young Toro, to spearhead the attack against the heart of the Reich itself. Then, on April 30th, 1945, the Flaming Furies reached Berlin. But they had little time for those making a last stand against the triumphant allies. They were after the biggest prize of all, Adolf Hitler himself. At that very moment, der Führer sat in his subterranean bunker, his bride Eva already dead of cyanide, and his seven sixty-five caliber Walter pistol pointed at his right temple. And there we are looking at Adolf Hitler. He's, he's got a gun pointed at his head and then you've got uh, some German officer turning away with his head in his hands. Doesn't want to see. And Hitler instructs. Should I do the Hitler voice, Bob? Oh, please. Yes, please. (laughs) 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 When I am dead, Otto, burn our bodies. I do not want to put on exhibition in a Russian wax museum. (laughs) Ja, my fjord. Then farewell, Otto. I was... Sparks coming from the steel door as if it were melting. I have seen such a thing before. Act nine.
0: And who's busting through, Bob? Oh, it is the human torch and his boy sidekick, Toro.
1: Yeah, and they have said, Ah, uh, yes, Herr Schnickelgruber. Bob, I didn't have the time to look up. What does schnickelgruber mean?
0: Uh, I think that was his real name, wasn't it?
1: Schickelgruber?
0: Yeah, Schickelgruber. If I'm not mistaken, <laughs> Hitler's uh, actual family name.
1: Are you shaking me? <laughs>
0: uh, yeah,
1: We've come to take you into custody and maybe even save your life. We know you fear capture by the Russians, with good reason, since they've lost millions dead because of you. But we'll take you to the American command. You'll have a fair trial later. And what good do you think that gun will do, you stormtrooper? And Toro melts the gun. Well, Adolf, what say? This is your last? Nine! I will not become a prize of war. I will end it all, here and now. And he goes to push a red button. Oh, no, you don't. Damn him. He left me no choice but to burn him. I'm betting that flame-proof button would have blown us all sky high. And taking the, the what's left of Berlin with us, your people have suffered enough because of you, Nazi devil. And he does he he torches Adolf Hitler, and as as uh, Adolf is melting, he yells out, "Adolf, the human torch has set me afire, but don't let the world know how I died." Tell them I committed suicide. Jawohl, mein Führer. Lying with his dying breath, but maybe it's best if people believe he took the coward's way out, then perhaps men that world over can forget this sorry, bloody business, and set about to build a new and better world on the ashes of the old. They were valiant words, but alas, no more prophetic than those who had ended an earlier world holocaust a quarter century before and even as the world claimed its final victims in the charred ruins of the thousand-year reich let us turn to the pacific ocean and there we see uh prince namor he's underwater and he's hitting away uh, a torpedo being fired by a japanese sub at uh, an american ship and he's thinking to himself. And so it continues on its way, laden with death for the Japanese home islands. Where will this madness end? Where? I pray to Neptune for the day the fighting ceases and the submariner can once more become merely Namor I, Prince Regent of the Remnants of Atlantis, deep beneath the ice of Antarctica. And he looks like he destroys the Japanese sub. And then we cut back to the Watcher, who is peering on a few other characters. Yet, even with the imminent defeat of the Nazis, peace was still months away in the ironically named Pacific. Bob, why is that ironically named Pacific?
0: (laughs) It's, It's hardly Pacific at all, Rick. Pacific meaning peaceful. Is it? Yeah, I never knew that. Is that pa- pacify is uh, is another of the, of the words made from the same root? Uh huh. Yeah, to pacify someone is to make it peaceful. So yeah, Pacific.
1: I never knew that Pacific yeah. was named like a peaceful ocean.
0: Yeah, I know. Surprise, huh? Yeah.
1: All right, listeners. I I I hope. I'm the only idiot here that <laughs> never knew that. Of course, I live on the Atlantic coast, right. on the East coast. So perhaps maybe if I lived on the West coast, I would, might, I might be aware of such a thing, but. You've been know, on a,
0: you've been on a ship, right. Um, sailing around the place. Yeah. No,
1: I've spent many uh, hours on the
0: ocean. Bob. No, but I, I mean like on a Navy ship.
1: No, if I was uh
0: like cross it the Pacific or mm-hmm. yeah. You have a lot of time to think about stuff like that. Hmm.
1: If I was a semen.
0: Right. <laughs> you are in my book. <laughs> I
1: mean, you already know the punchline, but that reminds me of a joke. Well, it's long and hard and holds a lot of semen. <laughs> A submarine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, oh my goodness. Uh
1: you should you should you should tell Bobby that one.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't think you get that one yet, but he's on the verge. <laughs>
1: so. Uh so the watcher is uh looking in on, on Spitfire. Meanwhile, what are the two Britishers who often do they call him Britishers?
0: I don't think so.
1: (laughs) I've never heard of anyone referred to as Britishers. The Britisher. Yeah. Uh, Meanwhile, what are the two Britishers who often, oftentimes, fought alongside the five original invaders? What of Spitfire and Union Jack? And now this is one of those uh, uh, footnotes, Bob. Right. There's a little asterisk here. and, And what does it say?
0: confused see text page at the story's end roy thomas
1: yep and so the two of them are going after um some some nazis that are trying to throw a grenade at winston churchill and then they they stop that and so later that night in the heart of london and it says here in a footnote, this will be explained in the text page also, as will the gents inside. Ah, uh, Union Jack and, er, uh, Miss Spitfire, thank you for coming so promptly. We came as quickly as we could, Major Rawlings. I fear I slowed down quite a bit, gentlemen. In many ways, I wish you had been slower. What do you mean, Major? Why were we called here? Aye. And where are Captain America and his young ally? So we have Spitfire, Union Jack, Namor, and Human Torch.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And Toro. And Toro. Toro hasn't said anything yet, though. No. That I fear is why you were summoned, Colonel Farrell. The following top secret dispatch is dated April 18th, 1945. Captain America and Bucky killed in action, defending secret weapon on English base. I'm afraid that says it all. The captain is dead? You're lying. I wish to God I were, miss. How did it happen? How? An aerial explosion. The bodies were not recovered. And that's when Toro speaks up. No bodies? Then how do you know they're dead? They... Easy, Toro. I'm sure the officers have more to say. The explosion was witnessed by RAF personnel. Bucky was still aboard the craft, and the captain's body fell into the channel. It did not surface. If that's all, sir, can we return to the front? There's no need. The remnants of the Wehrmacht surrendered. In Bavaria and Western Austria. The war in Europe is all but over. But the president has asked to see those of you who can fly to Washington. And we cut back to the watcher. To the torches, a presidential request was as good as military order, while the submariner, if he had any surface nationality at all, was likewise an American. Thus, it was that minutes later, only two of the fabled invaders present remained behind in embattled Britain. As one of Namor's imperial flagships streaked westward across the Atlantic, open to full throttle. If aught were said on the supersonic journey, it is not a watcher's place to record. Not long afterward, a futuristic air and sea craft made an unheralded vertical landing. Upon the White House law. Now, Bob, why is that
0: unheralded? Well, it certainly would have been in uh, 1945, Rick. Um, I'm not sure when the first uh, vertical takeoff and landing capable aircraft was uh, was fielded. Certainly it was fielded by the Brits, uh, the Harrier. Um, but I think that was at least in the late 80s, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. And of course, we deployed it here in the United States after the Marines happened. And
1: here we are in 1977.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: Writing about this and they're saying it's unherald because it took place in 1940 something.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: Interesting. So, of course, immediately after they land, the Secret Service come out. Because, hey, here's a, you know, a crazy, weird looking aircraft that just lands on the lawn of the White House. But before they can fire on the invaders, which at this point is Submariner, Namor, and then Human Torch and Toro, who comes out but the president? And who's the president, Bob? Well, at this point it's uh, President Truman. Yeah. So he comes out and he greets everybody, and he does mention uh, he does make a comment. He says, "Sure, wish we had that secret of your plane, Prince Namor." I am sorry, but I am certain America has secret weapons all her own. Still, I am pleased to meet you, sir. Same here, Mister Truman. I mean, I mean, Mister President. I'm still getting used to the title myself, son. This way, I appreciate you coming. And I guess you know why I asked for you. We've a fair idea, sir. This country's lost three great men in the past few weeks. First, President Roosevelt, God rest his soul. Then, a few days later, Captain America and young Bucky Barnes. Sir, my I ask why Steve Rogers' death is being kept a secret? We understand one irresponsible newspaper... New York Daily Bugle broke the story, but the government has since denied it's true. Now, Bob, is this, I I don't know this for a fact, but I can only assume, is this Roy Thomas retconning the fact that some comic somewhere mentioned, like the Daily Bugle mentioned that Cap died?
0: I don't know. I don't know where this reference is from. It seems odd other than a throwaway line to uh, mention the Daily Bugle. Um, it does seem odd because I don't I don't know what he's referencing. If, if in fact there was a comic somewhere along the way that that talked about the Daily Bugle breaking the story. So maybe it was. Um, I don't know. Uh, I mean there was that story arc where where joe john joe john jonah jameson was a big fan you know of captain america and maybe it's mentioned in that but i can't remember when that was
1: Hmm. so truman goes on to say in the next panel but as long as the japanese have nearly five million men under arms this war is only half one so for the duration and maybe longer Captain America must live on. The invader's next words were never spoken. As the door burst suddenly open to reveal, Cap and Bucky! Come in, gentlemen. And there it is. There's Captain America and Bucky bursting through the door.
0: What?
1: Well, what do you think? I, I, I don't know. Wait, look closely. There's something wrong. Yes, I see what you mean, Namor. These are not the true invaders. Captain America has no dimple on his chin, for one thing. And since when did Bucky have blonde hair and freckles? You're right, boys. And I'm sorry for the momentary deception. I just wanted to show you even you three could be fooled, at least for a moment. You may unmask now. Whatever you say, Mr. President. That voice. I know that voice. I'm flattered you still remember me, Torch, since we met only briefly, back in 42, when I was another mass crusader, the spirit of 76.
0: Now, when did that take place, Bob? Well, uh, I'm glad you asked that question, Rick. So his first appearance, uh, William Nasland is his name, and the first appearance of, of the Spirit of 76 was back in Invaders 14, which was released uh, a little over a year previous to this issue, right? So March 1976. Uh, and uh, that story continued in, in Invaders 15. And at that time, Naslund, as the Spirit of 76, was the sole American. In fact, he was the sort of the captain of the team, the Crusaders, which was largely a British superhero outfit that included such, you know, uh, names as Dynamite, Captain Wings, Ghost Girl, Tommy Lighting, and Thunderfist. All, of course, recent inventions by both Roy Thomas and Frank uh, Robbins, not Golden Age uh, holdovers. And they went up against the invaders because they had been fooled into thinking that the invaders uh, were um, under the control of Nazis. So there was a little bit of a kerfluffle between these two competing superhero teams. And that's how um, William Naslin, as a spirit of 76, met Hammond the first time. Ah,
1: I did not know that. Thank you for that background. You know, Thunderfist was my nickname in high school.
0: Yeah, I bet. Yeah. So, you know, and, and, and I should point this out. Fred Davis uh, was not featured in that invader series, but he was in Marvel premier 30, which featured the Liberty Legion. I don't know if you remember the Liberty Legion, but that was a a three issue story, uh, Marvel premier 29 and 30. And then it uh, sandwiched in between those two issues was invaders. Number six in the Liberty Legion, was it, consisted of Bucky and the Thin Man, the Patriot, Jeff Mace, Blue mm-hmm. Diamond, Jack Frost, Red Raven, Miss America, and the Wizard. Now, in this case, those were all timely Golden Age hero retreads. And in that particular case, the, the invaders were under the hypnotic control of the Red Skull. And Bucky, for a short period of time in that story, um, posed as Toro. And Fred Davis, who was the bat boy of the New York Yankees, stepped in to help out and posed as Bucky for the duration of that story so those were the first appearances of of these two uh, important characters
1: interesting uh and and so even that point the spirit of 76 which is william naslin he says i even wore my old mask and wig just to jog your memories which i think is kind of strange right he wore a wig and his uh domino mask right underneath his captain america cowl so when he took his captain america cowl off he looked like spirit of 76
0: yes and his hair you i mean you have to mention the fact that he's got his hair braided into a long uh, i guess i don't know if you call it a ponytail when it's on well, a man well, but it, it is a wig it, yeah I, I don't is it a wig but,
1: but he says I'm wearing my wig. Oh you're right. You're right. And, is a wig. and you know, wasn't wasn't that kind of like the uh I mean that's what they were back then in 1776, Well sure. Right? Yeah, and the
0: spirit of seventy-six wears a tri-corner, you know, colonial hat. So yeah, he, he's got the the hair piece and the hat to look like the spirit of 76. So and that's how they saw him when he was worth with the Crusaders. So that's the only way that they saw him. So you know, it makes sense that he wanted to, to look familiar.
1: OK, so then uh, and then the Bucky kid takes off his domino mask. And he, of course, he's blonde. And he's got the freckles. And he says, and I'm Fred Davis. If I look familiar, it's because I pitch hit for Bucky once before when I was that guy that Bob just mentioned, the bat boy for the New York Yancey.
0: Right." Indeed. Yes. Now, isn't this? I mean, think about this. Rick. I, I don't want to like belabor the point here, but like too late. Yeah. OK, fair enough. So Spirit of 76 first appearance was over a year earlier in this, you know, two issue Crusaders story. And then we've got Fred Davis, who shows up in one issue of of Marvel premiere in the Liberty Legion story. And somehow, you know, that was like preparatory for this. Like, I have to think it was. I don't think it was accidental. But, you know, Roy was laying this groundwork over a year in advance.
1: Well, I don't know if he's going to remember, but we can always ask him because, I mean, that was a hell of a long time ago, right? For him to try to remember this kind of stuff. But I don't know. Was he laying the groundwork or he just like went back and went, oh, this will make sense if I do this?
0: Perhaps if you're a cynic. (laughs) (laughs) i like to think that you know he was laying out the pins and the string and he had this all figured out Mm -hmm. okay
1: it's no secret said president truman that the invaders were the allies ace in the hole from late 1941 on seven of you by mid seven by mid 42 joined by others from time to time you seven were the core though a fighting unit second to none, past, present, or probably future. Well, Mussolini fell in 43, and the Nazi swastikas crumbling right this minute. And you're asking us to keep fighting until the Japanese militarists have surrendered, correct, sir? You know we shall, all five of us, if that's what you... eh? Yeah. But that's just it, fellas. I don't mean the five of you.
0: And then bursting through the door. Who is it? Oh, my God, it's Miss America. Uh, There's was Madeline Joyce and, uh, um, and Bob Frank, the wizard.
1: Right. And they come through. And uh, basically, Truman's like, hey, I want these two to join, join the, the to, to create the inventors, you know, to continue where you guys left off. And he says, now, as you two already know. The home front Liberty Legion has just disbanded. No time or need to go into why. What I'm asking you is, will you others let these two join the invaders and continue the war in the Pacific? And Toro says, Heck, even a kid like me knows the answer to that one, Mr. President, sir. Then I guess so do I. And then they all raise their fists and yay! And they quote the, Okay, Axis! here we come right because that's the invaders battle cry
0: right yeah
1: nor was that cry to be heard only in the oval office that troubled year often the seven invaders fought together bringing the war to the enemy's homeland in an effort to force him to surrender but just as often they fought separately the new Captain America, proving that even a makeshift shield could stand in for his earlier bulletproof cloak. And Bucky II aptly demonstrated that he had been well chosen. Not long before, Miss America and the Wizard had endured a love-hate relationship, which had made cooperation difficult. Yet, now they turned her power of flight and his mongoose-given super speed into weapons against a common, increasingly desperate foe. In the end, they knew this would save Japanese lives, as well as those of Britons and Americans. While on the outer islands, the tortures paved the way for Allied landings. Still, they had heard the estimates hundreds of thousands might die on both sides in the taking of the home islands. There were also the dreaded kamikaze planes, which might have wreaked even greater havoc on American aircraft carriers, if not for the newly developed proximity fuse and the rampaging, nearly indestructible submariner. Bob, do you know anything about the proximity fuse?
0: Proximity fuse? Yeah, yeah. I, know, I know a lot about proximity.
1: Well, I want to hear. It. Tell me about it.
0: All right. It's a fuse that blows up when in proximity to the target. So I used to be a surface air missile officer, right? Hawk surface air missile. And so it also, it had, of course, an impact fuse if it was so lucky enough to uh, impact the aircraft that we were shooting at, but it also had a proximity fuse that would detonate with, uh, you know, it was, magne- it was magnet magnetically driven. And so, um, yeah, if, as long as it got within, you know, I think 14 feet of of an aircraft, it would uh, would explode outward and, uh, and destroy the aircraft, so. Wow. Yeah, so it does save you from actually having to, you know, have a, a kinetic hit, right? You can be in the general area.
1: And when did that come out?
0: I, I Well, apparently it must have come out during World War II with, uh, I think they're referring specifically to... Um, I think referring to um torpedoes right um i don't know i don't know if don't it came out with torpedoes first i would think so you know because it's sonar so um it's it's catching the reflected energy coming back which was you know they had sonar before they had radar so i think it was you know th- when the reflections uh reflected sonic energy came back and it was sufficiently a short enough return then you knew that um, you know it could blow up
1: See, that's the kind of that's the kind of insight you get only on the Captain America comic book fans podcast
0: <laughs> if you wanted it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Then on the morning of August 6, 1945, a strange looking bomb called Lean Boy exploded 2000 feet above the city of Hiroshima and the world was forever changed. A second atomic explosion leveled much of Nagasaki three days later. And on Sunday, September 2nd, aboard the USS Missouri, flagship of America's Pacific fleet, the final document of unconditional surrender was signed. To the 30 million men, women, and children who had perished on both sides, it made little difference. And what are we looking at here, Bob?
0: Well, we're looking at uh, the emperor signing the um, surrender documents in front of General MacArthur on the uh, on the Missouri's deck. So that was a, that was a, a battle in and of itself because, of course, the, the the emperor never came out. Hirohito never came out of the palace, and so getting him actually to appear in front of of the American military was a, was a big thing uh, back then. You know, one of the things that bugs me about this this page, Rick, is that, and I don't know if there's a reason for it. But I'm pretty sure that first atomic bomb was Little Boy, not Lean Boy. And and I don't know why Roy Thomas used Lean Boy. Okay,
1: know. add it to your list of questions <laughs> next week.
0: <laughs>
1: okay, well. So then we cut back to the invaders, and there's a telegram that they are reading. And Namor says, you mean he had He sent us a simple telegram? That's it, Namor. He thanks us and asks us to stay together, now that the war's over, to help fight crime and the black market boys. We've turned... We've never turned down a presidential request. I vote we don't start now. I, too, will stay, at, at least for the present. But our name, the invaders. It's obsolete now. He suggests a new one. The all winner squad. So they went ahead, and during 1945 and 1946, the peacetime group's first major efforts was an adventure they chronicled the crime of the ages. When did that take place, Bob?
0: Well, it actually appeared in All Winners uh, Comics number 19, which had a cover date of September 1946. So it did take place after the war. And it's the only time, I believe, that uh, that the superheroes actually fought together in the Golden Age. You don't say. Yeah.
1: So they go on to, to show what they're doing during that time period. They're doing some various battling... And the superheroes are going after, you know, various uh, character called uh, Espisa. Um, And at some point in in 1946, they decided to disband. Namor says, you know what? Look, it's time for me to go home. And we all kind of knew that was coming, right? Like, how long was Namor going to hang out with the Americans?
0: Yeah, especially after
1: the war was over.
0: Yeah. And, and also, I mean, Timely moved to all teen comics with issue 20. So,
1: And yeah, so Miss America says a nice long vacation would do us all good. It's settled then. And then they um so Human Torch and Toro decide to go off to to visit his creator, who's Professor Horton. And, you know, he says, I haven't seen him in years. So the two of them go fly off to meet him and they go to now. Another thing that's interesting here. And he's uh, Turo says. I figured I'd never get to meet him. You've almost never mentioned him since I joined up with you. And when did he join up with him?
0: In Human Torch number one, Rick.
1: Yeah, that came out all the way back in 1940. Yeah. By the way, it was Horton who had created Human Torch. And when did that happen?
0: that was in that Marvel Comics number 1 right back in 1939
1: yeah and that now that is a classic comic yeah i think any marvel fan would want to have a copy of that <laughs> yeah and so back then um horton created the human torch who but he he was not a human torch at the time he created a an android right and he referred to him as the the first synthetic man and he was inside this glass case and then the moment that the glass case started to open and oxygen came in he started to ignite and he became burst into flame becoming a human torch which is where the name came from Uh, now the torch then escaped from his confinement and when horton tried to capitalize on his creation used the the man of flame for his selfish gain the torch renounced and left him supposedly forever and then the watcher goes on to say but time heals many wounds if not quite all and so on this night 7 years later and they uh, they track horton down to this location and they go up and they knock on the door and human torch is trying to explain to toro he's a brilliant man lad though marred by all human greed when i knew last knew him i hear somebody's coming and he opens up the door and there's horton professor horton it's wonderful to see you again sir i hope you remember me the human torch of course. And this is my young friend, Toro. Put her there, Pref. Glad to meet you. Likewise. And he goes to shake his hand. But something's wrong, Bob. Gosh, sir, I've always been wanting to... Uh, excuse me, but I'm afraid the grip is hurting my hand. I, yow! Hey, Torch, what's wrong with him? He won't let go. Blame on. And then... The professor just repeats what he said before. Likewise. What's a big idea, Torch? Why is the prof... That's not Professor Horton, Toro. You've got to flame on. Fast. If you say so, flame on. But I'll burn the prof's hand. I'll...
0: Holy cow, what's going on, Bob? His, his flesh is melting away to expose a metallic hand underneath. My goodness.
1: Torch, you were right. He's not the real prof. <laughs> he's
0: Attack a track pro. of the hyphen. He's a pro.
1: <laughs>
0: he's a real pro. Rick.
1: He is a real pro. <laughs> boom, chicken, boom, boom. He's not the real Professor Horton. He's not anyone, Turo. He's an android, some kind of metallic robot with plastic skin, skin that's melting away. And now he's collapsed like a puppet when you cut its strings. "'But who?' "'And then coming out "'of the shadows "'is a new android.' "'Your young "'ward's puppet analogy was well put, "'Torch. As for your question, "'who indeed should have cut "'that metal marionette's electronic "'strings? Save "'another android, but who has "'no strings? "'Who the devil? "'The androids behind me have no names.' But I have not chosen to give them identities by naming them. Names would be useless to them as they're non existent tongues. What about you, Paleface? You got a tongue, sure enough. How about a name? Name? Yes. I have a name because I gave myself one a name, an identity, a cause. I am Adam II, Professor Horton's second attempt at creating a synthetic man. He succeeded. Alas, too well for his own good, and I have disposed of him, and I shall one day do with the whole human race. On that day, the androids shall inherit the earth, and Adam, too, shall rule the androids. You don't have to write us a novel, friend. We get the picture. Ordinarily, I'd welcome the thought of more androids, but right now, where is Professor Horton? What should you care? You are no more human than I. That's open to question. Keep back, you defectively designed fool. Do you think I'd allow an obsolescent model like yourself to ruin my plans? These androids will not melt like the hastily fashioned metal robot Horton you destroyed. Stop them! Let's go, Toro. I'm right behind you, Pappy. So, you know, they use their flames, and they're fighting the androids. And uh, then they, from behind a wall, there is uh, kind of a a message coming out of the speaker. This is your last chance. Agree to join my android crusade against humanity, or he's behind that wall. That's just where we'll be. And they go through the wall. But
0: what happens, Bob? It's a tank of water, Rick, and, and their flames get put out.
1: Wah, wah, it was a trap. The fantastic pressure of the water forces the non-flameless pair against the far wall, slamming them into momentarily oblivion. It might be minutes, hours, or even days later, when they awaken, waterlogged and weary, within a nearly empty tank. And there they are, laying there. Wow, my head feels like, hey, torch, they tossed that. Horton, robot, in with us. Robot? That's no robot's voice, Toro. It's the real Horton. Torch, you've come back. I prayed. What's your mad creation up to, Professor? Why don't you ask me that, my friend? I could tell you the first step in my master plan, but I chose not to. After all, of what use would such knowledge be? To drowning men and androids, and then he releases the the valves of water to start gushing in. But human torches, uh, upper torso and arms are out of the water, so he can still flame those on. And he uses that uh, to to fire at the fire alarm hoping that the Boston Fire Department shows up. And then sure enough, the fire alarm does go off. And we cut to the next panel and it says, and who do we see there, Bob? Oh my God, it's
0: the Patriot, Rick. Who's the Patriot? Well, the Patriot, a.k.a. Jeff Mace, is another golden age superhero who first appeared in, uh, I think, Human Torch number four in a text story. And then he later went on to appear in uh, Marvel Mystery Comics 21 through issue 45. So it had a long run.
1: He did indeed. Strangely, some 90 seconds later, it is no shining red truck which responds. What in blazes? Some kind of metal doll with its face melted away. But a star-splashed figure known as the Patriot. Next, swiftly following the shrill siren to the basement. Good glory. Somebody's inside that tank drowning. Got to turn off the water fast. Now, what? Turo. It, it is Turo, isn't it? Yeah. And the torch is treading water right behind below me. We'll fill you in as soon as we're high and dry here. And he hands him Professor Horton. the no, Bob,
0: yeah. How does the, how the two know each other? All right. Well, you know, I mentioned uh, Marvel premiere number 30, which was, uh, you know, this, this three-issue story arc that involved the Liberty Legion and, uh, and the Invaders. And uh, in those stories, uh, Toro was hypnotized by the Red Skull. And so the Liberty Legion, which included the real Bucky and, uh, and Jeff Mace and several other Golden Age heroes, uh, mm-hmm. helped rescue the Invaders and Toro. So they did briefly meet, uh, in issue thirty, how about that? Yeah.
1: All right. So they get out of the uh, the predicament, right? Jeff Mace helps them. He's carrying Professor Horton, and at that point, Professor Horton uh, here's a who. No, sorry, <laughs> uh, Professor Horton. He reveals there there's more to the story. I don't I don't know why. But Adam too plans to substitute still another robot for some local politician, someone running for Congress. Uh, I'm not sure who. And Horton pauses for an intake of breath. And we skip a remarkable short period of time ahead to the unexpected phenomenon of a strange airship landing in the shadow of the Capitol building and Beacon Hill. So the invaders pop out. And uh, they're starting to look for, like, you know, particular senators. So they jump out. And Miss America says, I don't see anyone here to greet us. And Bucky says, You would, if anybody would, with those new glasses your doc prescribed. And she replies, Says the kid with the dyed hair and freckle cream all over his face. Now, that's. gotta be roy doing some sort of retconning right right it has to be right because listen there was a blonde bucky in the pages of gold uh golden age captain america comics
0: most certainly right i mean he started
1: off with dark hair and he went to blonde hair
0: yeah
1: right and i guess he had freckles too i don't remember Yeah. so that was roy's way of reconning that and then at some point miss america started wearing glasses. I'm guessing. I'm totally yeah, guessing.
0: I know. I you know. I, I don't know the answer to that one. I, there has to be a reason for that. It's just too obscure to be like, take up a whole panel to talk about this. It's got to mean something. Right.
1: Question for Roy? Indeed. And then, so Captain America, who is William Naslin, says... Oh, by the way, who was the um who was the bad Captain America? Burnside? Burnside. His yeah. name was also William. It was. Okay. That's why I'm I'm confusing the too. Yeah. William Burnside. Damn. So William Naslin says, Torch, Turo, but who's that with you? Huh? Don't you recognize me, Cap? I'm the Patriot. The guy who's modeled his whole spy-busting career after you, remember? Err, sure. What's up? Who's that you're holding? Tell them, Torch. And then, basically, you know, they get filled in on the story. And so they don't know which candidate they need to go after, so they decide to split up. And so... <laughs> Moments later, with scheduled revealing newspapers in hand, the aid superheroes rushed off on a mission, perhaps as important as any they ever tackled during wartime. Yet without understanding why this was so. And so they, uh, they all split up. But then we cut to Cap and Bucky, who are going after this particular congressman, who who well who somebody who is running for Congress, and who is it, Bob? Oh, my God. It's uh, Jack Kennedy. John Fitzgerald Kennedy. Indeed. And he's given a speech. Hey, that guy looks familiar somehow. He should. That's Jack Kennedy. He was a war hero in the Pacific, remember? Yeah, but this is one of the poorest districts in Boston. Even a former ambassador's son has to start somewhere, kid. Now, we can only be sure that's the real candidate. We hold it. That must be his limousine over there. Let's go check out a chauffeur. Holy cats! A faceless chauffeur! An android standing over the real one. He must have been planning to kidnap the real Kennedy. I assure you, he is my true chauffeur. Huh? Cap, look! It's Kennedy Kennedy. That's correct. Now, if you'll please step aside, we must get on to the next... No, that, though, human being, but a robot. See its eyes? The irises are like some shiny silver metal. And then Adam, too, comes out from behind him, and he's like, Blast, I neglected to add the proper ones in my haste. Well, come on. I'm right here. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> uh, all right, so Adam and uh, Cap start punching and fighting, and And then robots come out of the woodworks and they start dealing with Cap. Um, And and the watcher reveals, unfortunately, this was not the Captain America who had been given the super soldier formula. And seconds later, two androids had taken him in tow. And then they knock out Bucky, too. But when Cap sees Bucky knocked out, he he reacts The bond between this Captain America and Bucky, however, had grown quite strong in its own right. Nor were these androids yet programmed properly to deal with a sudden rush of adrenaline. Can't fight them all. Won't help Bucky that way. Gotta make a run for it. While not far away, we see Jack's giving a speech, Jack Kennedy. And then Cap runs to the Old North Church. He figures if he goes up into the steeple, he'll be able to signal everyone else. And as he's getting up there, he's, he realizes he's you know he's getting tired and that the robots don't get tired. So he get, makes it up to the very top and he's he's like, he's up already up after me. but if I can just make it to the steeple, I did it. This flare, each one of us had one. Mine tucked away in my shield. It'll bring the rest of the squad. Then we can, and then coming up from behind, the robot goes behind and gives him a big old bear hug, Bob. And just starts crushing his chest with his strength. The electronic commands of Adam-2 have been quite specific. Take no chances with Captain America. If you capture him, crush him to death only chance must use flare against the android and he does he turns the the flare back on the android's head and it hits the android in the face and then ricochets and goes up into the sky and then the next panel it says a colorful figure collapsed over the rail from which Paul Revere had once been warned of an enemy's approach. That's interesting.
0: Have you been there, Rick? I have not. The Old North Church. Tell me about it. One, if by land; two, if by sea, Rick. That is where, that is where the the signal was given in the Old North Church uh, about the British invasion in 1776, and, and that allowed the colonists to meet the uh, the British red redcoats at uh, Lexington and Concord.
1: The British are coming.
0: And the British are coming. One if by land, two if by sea. So hmm. you know, they held lanterns the up to, to signal the riders.
1: So the rest of the invaders saw the signal, the flare that went up in the sky and they reacted. And so just as Jack Kennedy was going up onto the stage, the other invaders came and stopped the assassination. Adam too um basically tried to to take care of himself, but just as he is about to to strike Jack Kennedy, who appears, Bob? Oh my god, it's Captain America. Yes. And the watcher reveals. Then suddenly a striped shield, as well as its red, white, and blue clad bearer, interposed themselves in the path of the deadly fist. What? No, it's not possible. One of my androids crushed your very ribs. It informed me so electronically, before it was incapacitated. I have studied humans these past few days by careful examination of Professor Horton, my creator. But it seems I did not learn enough. I must flee till I am ready to replenish my androids and strike again against humanity. And you, mass senator, you will seek to block my way with your puny fist, that infectual shield. I will destroy you soon enough. And he tries to run him over. But uh, the oil there, I guess he uh, slips on it and crashes and blows up. The morning newspapers in Boston would record an auto crash, although, according to them, the totally demolished limousine held no occupants when exploded. For what human being would have imagined that, for a few brief nights in 1946, plastic lived and plotted mankind's overthrow? Of course, The two torches quickly absorbed all dangerous flames. And then there's Jack Kennedy, surrounded by the invaders. And I thank you all for rescuing, even if you insist on being a little vague, about what from. And Namor says, We fear it must remain our secret, sir. Call me Jack. I just can't figure out why someone would bother trying to harm a mere candidate in Congressional primary. Frankly, Jack, neither can we. Unless, perhaps, he saw possibilities in you. Perhaps. Well, good night, and thanks again. Yes, possibilities such as that of the new politician becoming president of a nation possessing power enough to destroy the human race. Yet, in the end, are global tragedies really so different from personal ones? And Bucky comes up to Cap. Cap, thank heaven you're okay. My head. Bucky, or whoever you are, I'm afraid that... Hey, you're not Cap. Who are you, mister? You're right, son. I'm not Captain America. Or even that brave guy who tried to be Cap this past year. That man died tonight. At the Old North Church. While you were rushing here. He told me who he really was before he died. And he's got tears in his eyes. Next panel, he takes off his mask. And I took his place using a spare costume I found in the Submariner's flagship. I wanted to finish this thing for both Captain Americas. That voice, you're the Patriot. The second Captain America, dead. Killed just like Steve Rogers. Oh, my God. No, it, it just can't be. I only wish it had been me instead. I, I mean that. All was still for a moment there in Boston. Then, because they were the very people they were. Heroes in a world still in need of heroes. They rushed off, wordlessly toward where one of them had sacrificed himself that night. And they knew without speaking, that one case of the fabled all winner squad would remain unrecorded till many years had passed and it would no longer matter so very, very much. For two Captain Americas have perished these past 12 months on the altar of their country and of mankind. They were not the first pair of brave men to do so, and they were not to be the last. Still, the land and the human race would go on, and I would learn that they also suffer, who only stand and watch. The end, Bob. What?
0: That was awesome. Yeah. What? Would you? Would you like most about it? I. I. I love it all. I love the fact that uh, Roy had uh, had finally stitched up the continent continuity issues with uh, the timely Golden Age Captain America stories uh, after after uh, what may nineteen forty five through the end of the series in uh in nineteen uh nineteen forty nine so i'm I'm glad that finally we have an answer as to why there were captain America Captain Americas running around uh during that time.
1: yeah, it was um a well thought out explanation of the holes that were you know there right from the retcon that steve and jack did with avengers 4 had to somehow explain this and then when steve englehart came and did his portion about the 1950s cap he did william burnside and jack monroe right during the commie smasher era so roy was able to fill in the blanks between when steves and bucky happened with the with the ship and they went into the atlantic what happened between then and william burnside and so he went ahead and explained well there were two caps during that time period there was the spirit of 76 which was william naslin and then there was jeff mace the patriot and that ended up being, um, not a what-if story, but it ended up being the reality of uh, Earth six one six.
0: Right. Yeah. And, and you know, and subsequently we got you know uh, Captain America: The Patriot uh, miniseries, which uh, told us in, in a lot more detail the story of of Jeff Mace and how he came across. Um, how he became the Patriot, but also how he came across Nazlin that day on, in the old North Church and uh, and took on the mantle himself, and, Yeah, and how he continued in that, that career as Captain America until he took off that uniform. And I also love the fact that, you know, Roy, it, 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 to my mind anyway, he seems to have at least planned this a year out, right, by introducing the spirit of 76, which wasn't a Golden Age hero, and this was uh, created out of whole cloth but also by using jeff mace who was as the patriot a very well-known uh, long-lived uh, golden age superhero from the timely era so uh, the, the, it's, it's just amazing to me that he was able to take two characters and and use them to to plug these holes
1: yeah i agree it was really well thought out um do you have a so bob you get to go first this time do you have a favorite panel
0: yeah, I sure as heck do. This one right here on the on the last splash page. Ooh. I love this. Uh I love the fact that it has uh, you know, it has all of the invaders and uh uh and it's got you know a, a young version and an older version, a presidential version of, of Jack Kennedy. Um, but you know, this this panel of of Cap Jeff Mace holding uh the lifeless body of William Naslin uh mm-hmm. as cap, uh, you know, really is just a, a tremendous a tremendous panel. And and I know it's, it's redone again in the Patriot miniseries. And uh, I, I just love this panel.
1: Very nice. Good choice.
0: What about you, my friend?
1: I'm going to go at page 30, which is also towards the end. And I'm going to go with panel two. This is where William Naslin collapses on uh, the same spot where Paul revered had warned of, you know, the British were coming and we see him collapse. uh, But we just figure, you know, well, he's just unconscious here, but no, no, this is, this is the death scene of, of William Najlin. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's a very important part of the story. Um, And it's a sacrifice and we don't how often do we see a captain america die right true, true yeah i mean you could you could count them on one hand yeah and so um at least a death that sticks yeah and this but, one did
0: yeah and and you know and the thing with naslin is he i mean he, and it's pointed out he didn't have the super soldier serum he didn't even have his bulletproof, bulletproof cloak that he had as the spirit of 76 he had a makeshift shield. Right. Uh, You know, in lieu of of the loss of the original one. And so he just did the best that he could do and lost his life in the process. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. it's it's a it's a huge commentary on the sort of person that steps up and picks up the mantle of Captain America.
1: Indeed.
0: Do you have a uh, do you have a T-shirt worthy?
1: I do, Bob. I'm going to go with page 14,
0: Mm.
1: which is also a one page splash page of all the invaders together. But this was a little peppier, Bob. This wasn't about uh, death. This isn't about a guy carrying another dead guy like you picked out. No, I picked out uh, something a little bit more fun, which is a, ba- a battle action page of Cap and Bucky and Namor and Human Torch and Toro and uh, Spitfire and Union Jack. Uh, with you know uh, explosions in the background, Yeah that's t-shirt worthy to me.
0: Well, all right, that's how fair. About,
1: how about you? What's your t-shirt? What are you what are you putting on t-shirt,
0: Bob? You know, I'm I'm gonna go with that first page splash page with the uh, cap the the actual cap Steve Rogers and Bucky Barnes crashing through the aerodrome window to surprise mm. uh, Baron Zemo uh in the process of lighting up his uh his android Uh, okay yeah i like that action shot and you know i I never get tired of seeing somebody jump through a window so
1: Mm -hmm. apparently that's steve's favorite thing to do
0: right yeah all right and lastly bob what are you putting in the time capsule you know rick i i am definitely I was a mixed mind about this, but I, I'm going to go with uh, the the Jack Kennedy campaign signs. Mm. And I'll tell you, I love I love the fact that Roy Thomas integrated this into the story because John Kennedy did in fact run for the 11th congressional district in Massachusetts. It was his first run in 1946, and, and of course he won and served uh, in Cong- in the House. I think until like '53 when he ran for the Senate, and and of course histories after that. But you know, the thing is, I'm from Massachusetts. And uh, I am like sick to death of Kennedys running for office in Massachusetts, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We've had Bobby Kennedy, we had ja- John Kennedy, we had Ed Kennedy, and we had Patrick Kennedy. We have all the Kennedys you know, running for It seems like a birthright to run for office. So I'd be happy if like, we could skip a few generations and no Kennedys ran for office in Massachusetts and use the name recognition to, 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 to get into the House of Representatives or Senate. So I'm putting that in a time capsule and hope it stays in there.
1: Mm. Okay. Yeah. All right. Good for you. Not a bad one uh, for time capsule for me. I, I'm going to go with page five and I'm going to go with the last panel. And that is where we have, we cut to Adolf Hitler and his bunker.
0: Oh yeah.
1: And he's there with a pistol towards his temple uh we've got uh you know his 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 bride yeah uh, already dead next to him and he's about to commit suicide um that is definitely a time a period of time right that is unmistakable of, of when that is and quite frankly anytime you can have adolf hitler about to commit suicide and uh you know I'm not a, listen I'm not a mean vicious man but we're talking it's hitler right so yeah yeah let's that's going in my time capsule
0: yeah yeah i do think it was great in this that uh you know roy thomas uh had toro in the human torch show up and uh, and take that autonomy out of out of hitler's hands right he couldn't take his own life he got he got burned up by the human torch. I, I love that because it explains it, you know, why, why the bunker burned down. Uh, so again, you know, a nice use of, of actual history uh, mm-hmm. but putting a mysterious spin on it that, uh, you know, we didn't have, we didn't have insight into before Roy ta- told us the real story. Right. Yeah. No,
1: I like that too. You know what? All right. I'm not going to, I'm not going to waste my breath any more breath on Hitler, you know, whatever right um but yeah i agree with you 100 that it's it's a nice little you know coward you know we're, we're gonna let him think it's the coward's way out but really he was murdered
0: you know burn him to, to a crisp
1: yep yeah, yep yeah, yep yeah. all right well again bob that was uh fun it was it, it's a key issue for many reasons as we pointed out and we can't wait to talk about uh, this and many other captain america related questions we have for the legendary roy thomas next episode so bob as always it's been a heck of a good time
0: wrapping cap with you i love it i've been looking forward to this book for a long time rick and i'm so glad that we got to it so i can't wait till next week me too all right he's
1: bob lucius i'm rick for And you have been listening to another episode of the Captain America comic book fans podcast.